thank you always for the privilege of, of uh, sharing your word and for messages, Lord. Sometimes they appear to be a little bit tough, but Lord, sometimes we need the tough love. Sometimes we just need to step out of our own comfort zones and allow you to use us for your glory, Lord. I pray that would be the case today, that this message will be used for your glory, Lord, that you will anoint me with your spirit to preach it to your people. I pray that we can get one or two nuggets or even three nuggets and come from this message, Lord, that we can take with us and apply to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you uh, have seen the movie Tombstone? All right, a few. Tombstone. Now I'm talking about what I call the real tombstone, the story of Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, and that group. There was uh, uh, the movie Tombstone was the one I'm thinking of. I think was uh, made back in like 83, 84, something like that. It was Kirk Russell, if you're kind of familiar with that. I thought being a historian that I am, I love to follow all kinds of history, but, it, but I loved the Old West and whatever. And they really follow that pretty doggone close to, to the actual, actual historical accounts. Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were close friends. That is a fact. Doc Holliday at one time saved Wyatt Earp's life. That's what really started their friendship. So it wasn't, I think if you look at the story of Tombstone and those two, they came together at Tombstone when Tombstone, the town, was becoming a big mining community and it was growing very, very rapidly. So we know that Doc Holliday had tuberculosis. And in his family, you know, he lived way beyond his years uh, with, with, with TB. So we, at, the, at the end of this movie, Tombstone, we find Doc Holliday in a sanctuary a dying with his good friend Wider by his side. That part did not happen, by the way. But anyway, for the movie purposes, Wider was by his side. But they got in a conversation. Uh, White was visiting him in the sanitarium, and uh, Doc Holliday was talking about his life. And then Doc Holliday turned to White Earp and said, what is it you want? And White Earp said, I just want to live a normal life. And then Holiday responded by saying, there just isn't life, Wyatt. It's just life. Many people today believe that life is nothing more than just one random experience after another. Mixed in with that life is a little bit of the good, a little bit of the bad, a little bit of the joy, a little bit of the sadness. It's all mixed together. But the Bible tells us that God created the universe with a sense of order and with a sense of purpose. At any time, God can use any particular uh, circumstance in our lives in order to reveal his will for us. It could be a new job opportunity. It could be a move, maybe moving to another, you know, uh, community or whatever. It could be a health situation, anything. It could be a broken relationship. 
you're trying to repair. It could be you're in an anxious situation at work or with another co-worker. It could be an accident that you're getting over or what's happened in your family. It could be failure. We don't like to hear the failure, but it could be that. It could be anything where God's trying to get our attention. Or it could be maybe you have received a miraculous healing, etc. The key to interpreting God's in a circumstance is not to center on the event itself. Remember what I just said. It's not to center on the event itself, but seek Holy Spirit discernment. If we don't, confusion will dominate that circumstance. Far too often we get hung up on that circumstance. That's not where God wants us to be. He wants us to go. He wants us to see Him through that circumstance. So my first thought this morning is a miraculous event from John 11, 45 through 48. Now, I'm just going to read this few verses because it's talking about when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We are very familiar with that story. Let's pick it up in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin here, that's like the Supreme Court. They made all the decisions, all the policies were done at that level, basically. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Jesus knew this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead would create a stir among his adversaries. In spite of Jesus' awesome display of supernatural power and compassion, these religious leaders didn't grasp the significance of what just happened, this miracle. They, because they were more concerned that Jesus' rising popularity would hinder their relationship, would hinder their position and power over the people. That was their concern. They weren't tuned in with tuned in with Jesus' miraculous intervention. The 18th century preacher, Jonathan Edwards, this guy was really something. He was a revivalist, he was a preacher, he was a theologian. So he and his church, they experienced a miraculous revival. It was it was something beyond, beyond, beyond. That the, the Holy Spirit just moved in that community. And this during the time of the first spiritual great awakening. And the Spirit was just moving. But guess what happened? They kicked him out of the church. Why did they kick him out of the church? They were kicked out by a group of leaders, a group of spiritually dead parishioners. 
They quenched the spirit. I'm not, this is not addressed to you because you, you people, but I'm just saying what's out there in churches. Our first church was a wonderful church, and you've heard this over and over again, that it was, they, they were great for us. They allowed us to make mistakes, me to make mistakes, and that's my first ministry, whatever. They were wonderful people. We were younger. We, you know, we were, we were young. At that point, our kids were, you know, in junior high. My son was in, what, David, first, first grade. Thanks. And so, and there was a group of people in that church that God's time was beautiful because there was a group of people in that church that were pretty much our age and our kids and what have you. So it was kind of natural that we really felt led to build a youth ministry. They had nothing in that church. I mean, this community was 900 with three mainline churches. I think there was an independent Baptist church there. And there was nothing for the kids. Maybe the Catholic church had something, but it wasn't much of any significance. So we started through God leading us to build a youth ministry. So it's kind of like... I throw off the suggestions, and Jan's the engineer. So Jan basically spearheaded, I I give her the credit, she did this youth ministry, and this blossomed. We went from, we had had 25 kids, you know, that would come on a Wednesday night. We have special events. We get 40 kids. Now, that's a lot in in a community that size. And it was growing and growing and growing and growing through the years. We took the kids on mission trips. You know, we did all sorts of fun things. That was a great time in ministry. You know, to come there on a Wednesday night, one of our, one of our uh, kids in our, in, our, in our youth group, he just got his new car. It wasn't brand new, but his new car, his first car. And he pulls up to the church. I just happened to get out of my car and going into the office. Hey, Pastor Denny. He said, look at my wheels. And I said, great. I said, hold on a minute. I put my stuff down or whatever. I said, let's go. Let's go cruise the town. Now, it didn't take very long to cruise that town. So there we are. I get in the car, and we head up. And I said, man, I said, turn up the tunes. Crank it up. You know, it was a great, what a wonderful experience to be with those kids. And then it happened. Then it happened. It started slowly. Why are you meeting every Wednesday night? Why is that? Or how can you allow the kids to have a popcorn fight in the reception hall? And it wasn't buttered popcorn either, I might add. Or why, why, oh, there was a chair that's leaned up against the wall. We just had this church remodeled. It was that picky stuff. And it was coming from people that were pillars of the church. That's the problem. One of the big problems with churches today is just that. Satan can get in there and he can kill a ministry. Isn't it amazing? I've seen this happen in churches where I'm saying, why do people, they come to church, you know, they sing the hymns, they do this, they do that, they pray, 
and yet they do not see God moving. God was moving in this ministry. We had young couples and were coming and and we we what we do we recruited some to help out be some leaders in the youth group make a long story short i'm not complaining that was a long time ago i just want you to get an idea of how god moves when we left that church god called us because i knew at that point we we're pretty much done because they weren't allowing god to work i said well then we're going to go where God, where we can work. One of the couples that partnered with us in that ministry, when we left, they basically said that the church said to them, I'm not in these words, but basically, you're not spiritual enough. Took them out of that ministry. That ministry just collapsed almost overnight. Why? Spiritually dead. People, so many people are walking around in these churches and they're spiritually dead. That's not what God wants. Why do churches grow? It's amazing. The churches grow because people are clapping. People are singing. People are responding to Jesus as he's moving in the church. People are just involved. They're alive in Christ. That is the difference. Rather than a group of people get hung up on popcorn fight or, I'm not, I'm not venting, but I'm just saying to me, I look back, it is so silly. It is just so silly and it breaks your heart to see that happen. All I can say about all of that is, to me, it wasn't uh, for naught. I still now intend, now and then, you know, we hear from people from young, these kids who grew up to be adults in our youth group through the years uh, that have been a very blessing to us and, and by their uh, uh, response to us in so many different ways. But you see, some will recognize God at work and others will not. Again, I'm not here to pick, but I'm just saying that's a fact. Some will recognize God at work in their church, and some will not. And then people wonder why their churches are drying up. I've had that. I've had that same church. There again, I love that church. I love the people there. But I'm been, if you ask me a question, I'm going to be honest with you. I went back to do a funeral at that church and it was drying up, and, and, the, and the board came to me and said, Pastor Denny, since you're here, could you tell us what we could be doing, you know, to, to rebuild the church, blah, 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 this and that and the other thing. I said, what I'm going to tell you is not going to set well with some of you people in the pew. So why should I tell you that when you're not going to move on it anyway? Because people get hung up on their own desires, their own stuff. That has no room in the church. It does not. You know, any ministry here, whatever the case might be, we pray about it. We seek God's will. If God's will is not in it, we don't do it. And that has been my call at this, in this church here is, I won't move until God moves me. 
And some say, well, you're moving too slow. Well, bring it to God. He's telling me, when he tells me we move, we move. And that's very refreshing and it's very liberating to allow God just to use us. And he's using you in so many miraculous ways. It's not just a one-way thing with me. It's all of us. We see God moving in marvelous ways. Sure, we want more, don't we? And we should. But we wait on God's timing. We wait on it, and we wait, and we wait, and God will prevail if we just keep seeking him. Amen? And amen. That's a long, long uh, part one, isn't it? Okay, number two, the red lights and green lights. Remember that? You know, we'd hear some talk, they say, well, you know, well, you know, faith is a series of the red lights and the green lights. When the light is green, then we go through. If it's red, we stop. We wait for the Lord. Or we call it, you know, the open door or the closed door. So whichever one you want, you choose, that is fine. But many Christians base their decision-making on the red and green light circumstances. We just need to be cautious that we don't place our faith solely on the light or that God only speaks through good opportunities as a sign of a green light. Sometimes we think, oh, this is great. God's really moving into it. It's a great thing. It's a great situation. That might not be God's will. Amen? And amen. I'll give you an example. Moses was confronted with a green light situation. When he saw a Hebrew being abused by an Egyptian, Moses confronted that green light. He saw an opportunity, and he felt compelled to what? So he advanced through that so-called, seemed like uh, green light, that open door when he killed the Egyptian. But afterward, afterward, he, out of fear for his life, what did he do? He said, feet don't fail me now. I have to get out of Egypt. So he spent, what, 40 years wandering in the desert. I wonder if I would have said, Moses, that was some green light you just walked through. Well, if I walked through it, why all this turmoil? Why 40 years? Because sometimes we miss what God's will in that situation because our desires get in the way. Amen? Now, one of the fun things I've always enjoyed doing as a pastor is marrying people. I love it when I have an appointment for a couple that are going to get married because they come into the office and they're in love. You know, they're holding hands and they're giggly or whatever. And I sit down with my little pad. We start talking about things and, you know, and she's looking at him and he's looking at her and they're nudging or whatever. And they're just so happy, 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 happy. And uh, so I had this couple come in. We made an appointment. And I'm going to tell you, my friends, it was red light and green light all at one time. So I sat down with a couple, and usually it's the bride-to-be. They're the most excited because they're planning the wedding, et cetera, et cetera. The guy is there. He's happy, but he's getting married. 
but he basically defers to her to all the details normally. And so this is the case with this couple, but there's one thing different about this one. We sat down, they started to talk, and this, the guy, was green light all the way. Boy, he wanted to step into that marriage like tomorrow. And he's excited, he's graduated from Northern Illinois University, etc., getting his life in order. He's doing all the talking. Remember, remember the, the mashes? If you watch MASH back in the day, you had uh, Margaret Houlihan and Frank Burns. And oftentimes, uh, you know, she would do, do the talking for Frank, right? And then I remember Colonel Brake once said, let's let Frank say something. That was this guy. He was doing all the talking, and she was just there, very passive. And so that, my discernment was, something isn't right here. You know, he's got the green light, she's got the red light going. So at the end of that session, I knew what I knew. I knew something was really wrong. And then just maybe we would schedule another appointment. But then I received the call that she broke it off because she felt she didn't really love him. I said, well, that's good. It's better to find out now than when you get married. So my point with what I'm saying here is a green light or a red light is not necessarily a sign of God's will. Now let's move on to Acts 12, 6 through 11. So when Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That's verse 5, verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. We know the story, right? And, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of, of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was, going, what do, was doing was really happening. He thought he, has, he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened up for them by itself, and they went through it. When they walked through, the, when they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that, that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. What appeared to be a red light situation turned into, really into a green light situation when God rescued Peter from Elak's cell as an angel brought him through. Peter knew that this was God's intervention. Peter knew it. He knew that God was in it. 
Now, I'm going to share with you two stories that I just read, and you've heard me mention D.L. Moody several times through the years. And I'm fascinated by this preacher because this guy was so poorly educated, and his grammar, his grammar was so poor that even his church family tried to persuade him to avoid public speaking. Can you imagine that? Yet, however, it was God's will to make this man, Dale Moody, one of the great preachers in the 19th century. If you ever have an opportunity, you can do it. Get on and read some, listen to some of his sermons. It's amazing. This guy could chop up the English language, and yet, and yet the spirit was so strong and conviction in this man, he was just a massive evangelist in his era. And how about the one we've talked about a lot? I talked about him last week, Billy Graham. You know, I was kind to him last week in terms of his academics. When Billy Graham, listen, when Billy Graham was in college, the president of the college told him that he would never amount to anything. Can you imagine that? But God opened the apparent closed door to this tall drink of water from North Carolina. Arguably, outside the Apostle Paul, the most visible evangelist the world history has ever seen. That's God. That's what God does. If you are in a situation in your life where you feel that you're not adequate, you're not good enough or whatever, check, out, check with God. And God will change your mind. He will do that. So don't give up on yourself. And I've seen that happen. My brothers and sisters, I've seen that in college. I've seen people that are non-traditional students going back to school and they start freaking out because they see all the, the responsibilities, the academic requirements, etc. And they say, no, no, I can't do that. I've seen a pastor do that. He was going back for further education and he was so intimidated by the academia. Come on, man. You know, let God just take over and help you overcome your concerns, your inadequacies. All of us are inadequate. Amen? All of us are. We are. We need God's grace. There's not one of us can strut around here thinking we're so, so good and God says, no, you're not. You're so, so bad. It's because of Jesus I made you so, so good. Because of grace. Amen? And amen. All right. So that one wasn't too bad. One thing I've learned through the years that I'm going to share with you is that it's so important to realize when God opens and closes doors, it might not always make perfect sense to us. Just like the story of D.L. Moody or with Billy Graham. Or even uh, seem to align with God's will. Why would God do that? I, I've been in academia. I've been in 
in a denomination where it was all about the grades, the grades, the grades, the grades. That's going to make you a good pastor. That's going to make you a good pastor. That's not it. I'm telling you, that's not it. My dear pastor friend never had a lick of higher education, and he is a pastor. He knows what he knows because God's spirit is all over him. And that leads us to our third point. No applause. It could be, it could be a long point. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. It's from Colossians 3, 1 and 2. I would encourage you to memorize it. If you're into scripture and want to memorize it, memorize Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Being Christ-centered is staying focused on your new life in Christ. You, we are new in Jesus. When you accept Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then you are entering a new life in him. Being Christ-centered also is believing and understanding that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been raised with him. Okay? You've been raised with him. You have special privileges, you know? Um, it's, often, it's often in times of crisis that when God seems to communicate to us in powerful ways. Think about it for yourself. When at times you've been in crisis, how God has spoken to you, communicated to you. And I found this to be very good. You know, it's interesting because all of us have a life and a story to tell. I had for eight years of my, when I became a Christian, where I was going from one crisis after another, after another, after another. And there were times in that crisis when I didn't know if I was going to be able to stand up and function. But every time, God, through a supernatural intervention, one miracle after another, after another, just got us through. I've never had those eight years when I was a young man. After those eight years, I've grown in my faith, but in different ways. God speaks to me. But, but it was never as intense as it was back in those, those eight years because I needed it. Catch what I said? I needed it. I needed God's supernatural intervention so, so bad that he basically just picked me up and said, don't you worry about it. I'm going to get you through this. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to carry you. You don't have to carry yourself. I'm going to carry you through this. And he did. And he did. And you know something? In a way, I'm kind of relieved that part is over. Because I'd hate to say, God, carry me like that now. You know, I, would, I wouldn't want to go through that mess again. But God was there. That's the point. That's the point of Colossians, where Paul is trying to bring us to that understanding that we are new people in Christ. And listen to his final instru two instructions here. He said, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly, er earthly things. 
We are called to focus everything, our being, our hearts, minds, spirits, souls, everything on Jesus. This means having a heavenly focus and not an earthly focus. That is it. Now, if you've been asleep, please be awake for this last final statement. Listen, we cannot know if God is speaking to a circumstance in our lives apart from Christ. It doesn't work that way. If you do, if we do that, and I've learned this, we'll never know. We'll never know. Because we'd be so confused at every circumstance trying to figure out what Christ is doing. We can't do this apart from Him. If you're trying to do something and your circumstances, your situation, wherever you are, and be, be cautious that you don't allow your own desire to get in the way. That's a first clue, first discernment. If it's your desire, your thought, then you've got to step back you have to step back. If you sense, if you sense in any way, shape, or form that God is leading you or speaking to you about a certain particular situation, then seek Jesus in it. That's what Paul is saying. It's all about Christ. It's seeking Jesus in it. Get on your knees and don't get up until God gives you an answer. And he's probably going to tell you, get out of the way. Because you're going to mess it up. See what I'm saying? I cannot say that enough. When people say, well, I thought I heard God's voice in this situation. I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't. I was wrong or whatever. You don't beat people up. You say, you've got to get out of the way. God, if we seek Jesus, again, in it, in our circumstances, he will reveal his will in his time, he will do that. Make any sense? It's all about Christ. Everything we do, it's all about Jesus. We were singing the hymns, and as Becca was sharing, the Holy Spirit was leading her. Those angels are just gathered. We are as, as Paul would say, that here we are, we are waiting. We've been raised with Christ, and where Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. He's interceding for us. So, we have Jesus in heaven. He's interceding for us. He's waiting for us to say, okay, give me your life. What is it? What is it, Chris, that is bothering you? What's on your mind? What's on your heart? Give it to me. Give it to me. Do we give it to me? Victor, give it to me. Because he loves us so much. He loves us so much. And we have the greatest power, the greatest power in the world really is at our disposal. But we need to know how to use it for his glory and get out of the way. Let Jesus be Jesus in your circumstance and he will speak to you clearly and you will know. You will know. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. And I pray, Father, for a brother or sister here that is struggling or they're dealing with waiting for an answer from you, a situation, whatever it might be, that Jesus, that you would speak to them, that they would turn it over to you through your Holy Spirit. You'll give them holy discernment to know and to hear your voice. And then once they, they've heard your voice, Lord, that you give them the strength, you give them courage to walk through it, to advance according to your will. To your will. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us for this last song? We can't go through it alone, but what a blessing it is to know that we have